Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the very first notes to the final, fully produced progression. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I am intimately familiar with the magic of music creation, but I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with the acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. My name is Emmeline, and I am stoked for today's episode because we have with us the legendary Rob Case with maybe a special guest appearance by the legendary Linda Case. How are you doing? I am well. Thanks so much for hopping on. Not sure how legendary I feel today, but I'll I'll try and live up to that. I think you're legendary. I think you're wonderful. We're going to be discussing your song, Home Place. It's one of my favorites. And it, it, it's a song that, that has always grabbed me in a, in a way that uh, very few of my other songs ever did. It, it comes from the heart. And uh, it's actually a weakened ver- version of the, the original lyrics. Because if I sing the original lyrics on stage, I will cry. There, there's no getting past it. It's going to happen. Wow. And uh, although I do cry easily, I try and avoid it on stage. <laughs> Well, we'll have to talk about which ones you changed. Before we get into it, though, we're going to let our audience hear the acoustic version of Home Place right now. Silhouette black mountains slowly start to fade. High thin desert air. Pignon, mesquite, and sage Boys sing consignones To greet the waking day Walk up the ditch bank road To me los dios Y primos along the way Where do they go When the day has begun Los tios y mis primos, home place, Mexican boys and their song. The sun gently lays the valley's burden down. Uncles and cousins ride the ditch bank road back home. Mexican boys sing a broken corazones. Songs of lost love, songs of longing for their home. Tios y mis primos, home place, Mexican boys in their song. The 
Well pump engines drone, lightning streaks across the sky. Highway semi-tires whine and sing a lullaby. The smell of desert rain, the chief is running through the night. Count the seconds till the thunder we knew. Everything would be alright. Where do they go when the storms come at night? The Santa Fe's big engines and knowing everything would be alright. Los tíos y mis primo home place, the Mexican boys and their songs. Yay! That was awesome. Thank you so much for playing. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's such a beautiful song. Well, the, the imagery for it has always... Well, I guess the imagery of the song wrote the song, actually. So it, there, there's a, a circle there that, that for me, just the more I think about those things, the more the song resonates and it, it creates a feedback loop. And uh, for me, it's very effective. And it's, it's one of those songs that I would play for myself if nobody liked it. Uh, it uh, and those are rare because I, I usually play my music for other people. This one is a gift that, that uh, I enjoy all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it speaks to you. And it, it says a lot about your experience. And you do. You have it. It's sort of like flipping through a photo album the way you've articulated it from the silhouette Black Mountains. To, I love the line that the sun gently lays the valley's burdens down. That's just such a great line. In New Mexico does that. The sun there does that because it's so hot in the summertime and so dry. And there's that point of the day where it just feels like a burden is lifted. Because it, and then it goes to almost freezing 20 minutes later. <laughs> it, uh, and, and it feels like the sun just laid that down and walked off. Yeah, it's a beautiful image. Well, thank you. And it, it does. I love the line, where do they go when the shadows grow long? You have such vivid imagery as part of the song. You're sort of letting us into these memories because you, you talk about how the song was written about images from your childhood in New Mexico. Can yes, you share a little bit about that? Well, my grandparents had a, an enormous cotton farm in southern New Mexico, outside of Las Cruces, and I uh, I was born in Las Cruces, and you know my my very early years were there, before we moved to Alaska and then back to Houston. But from the time we moved to Houston, I could fly on an airline for free. So every waking moment that I could get away from my parents, I was on an airplane on the way to to New Mexico to to be at my grandparents. And they couldn't get me to come back a lot of times, but uh, I was allowed to run free and do what I wanted to with my grandparents. And you know, I, I had a tractor I could use pretty much any time from the time I could reach the pedals. And uh, there were places to go shoot my 22 from the time I was nine or 10. It's right by the Rio Grande River. And you know, there's just so much trouble to get into. And, wells to be explored and caves and dinosaur tracks and you know stuff it was a it's a paradise especially for a 10 year old and uh, it, it still is a paradise it's been 
subdivided and changed and moved quite a bit, but the uh, dinosaur tracks are still there, and that's a national park now. But there are uh, petroglyphs and old roads and you know things that that uh, are such a discovery even now. Uh, I go back there and rediscover things periodically. Learn quite a while. It's a harsh place. How so? Everything there has either will sting you, cut you, bite you, or eat you. Because it needs to defend itself. All the living creatures there have to have defense. And uh, mm. the terrain is difficult. It's, it's not an easy hike to go anywhere up there. And uh, just on my, what's left of my grandfather's farm, it's, it's a kind of a tough hike. I don't remember how the levels go, but it's not a, it's not a walk in the park. And there are plenty of falling rocks and bobcats and a few occasional mountain lion and lots of coyotes and rattlesnakes 12 feet long. And, you know, things that will bite you and hurt you. And, uh, ants and scorpions are just abundant. But they generally don't bother people. I've, I've never been bitten by anything there, but I, uh, I'm a very careful person. <laughs> I was going to say, as a boy, did you ever pick them up? Any of the Not bugs? alive, no. There were a few snakes that met their doom, uh, but I, I picked up, you know, the dead snakes. But because rattlesnakes make a great hat band, one. and I always had visions of making a hat band out of one, although I never did. I don't think I've ever seen a rattlesnake used as a hat band. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah. Is it really? People do that. That's great. I, I haven't managed to yet. But. But you have you have found the snakes that could serve as the hat band. I found snakes that could serve as a as a number of things. There there are, rattlesnakes grow very large out there, and uh, there's nothing to stop them. So they get old and wise and long. And run over. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something to stop them. The last one I saw had been run over, and it was probably I don't know eight to ten feet long. Eight to ten feet. Goodness gracious. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's not a snake. That's like an escape rope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with fangs. Yeah. It's maybe not the world's greatest escape rope. The, the place holds a, a place in my heart that uh, would, would never go away because it was uh, it's such a contrast from Houston and uh, the Bayou City and the humidity and the, the different kinds of bugs and a different variety of snakes. Uh, we live near a bayou in Houston, and uh, it, it just it became an alternate environment for me. And as uh, as I grew older, that that was where I hung out for years. But uh, my buddies and I had a raft there on the bayou. But the uh, the contrast of New Mexico and Houston could not be more stark. The uh, the heat is different, the light is different, the, the air in New Mexico is beautiful, Houston smells like a refinery. In New Mexico I was free, in Houston I had to go to school. Everything was different. And so the, uh, the home place is a, uh, a mirror of, uh, of those images for me. Mm -hmm. And the, the Mexican boys there were, were so kind and uh, they worked so hard. They were part of the Bracero program they used to be able to do this, and it worked really well. They had guys from Mexico come, mm -hmm. and they had a, a work card, and they worked on the farm and got paid and went home. And that's that's what they did. Every, yeah, mm -hmm. I think they'd go home every week or two. But uh, 
the same guys were there for years off and on and uh, I learned a little Spanish from them and uh, I had to be very careful about repeating any of the words they taught me around my grandmother <laughs> because her Spanish was excellent and for my grandparents Spanish was uh, a code language and they didn't want me to learn it hmm. they wanted to keep it to themselves so they could talk around me and I wouldn't understand really I, I'm, I'm certain of it because they uh, they they honestly did not want me to learn Spanish they, they worked at, at inhibiting that <laughs> interesting so you learned instead from the Mexican boys that worked in the Bracero program? A little bit, yeah. But my grandmother wasn't happy with my grammar then, uh, uh, or my word choices. <laughs> so, <laughs> I learned a lot about word choice from my grandmother. So the song takes me back to a time that uh, and, and a place. And mm-hmm. it, it brings back images of, uh, well, the smell of desert rain is a smell that if someone doesn't know what that means, they need to get to the desert and wait for it to rain. Hmm. It's an experience that is uh, is like no other. But I, I've I've encountered that same smell as far as Arizona, I guess. Uh, Nevada doesn't seem to have it so much, but hmm. uh, New Mexico rain has a, a very special smell because of the. I think it's the. Uh, I don't think it's the dirt. It's the uh, mesquite and sage and. What does manage to grow there? Yeah, yeah. You like I said, you evoke a lot of imagery, and you do a really great job of conveying this very unique experience of home place and what it meant to you. We talked a little bit about how you have words in this, how you had the original words, and then you had words that you changed. But you said you used the original ones in this acoustic performance. Well, these are, you know, this is a. I I would uh, think the analogy would be this is like a weakened virus. You know, this is, uh, there are other lyrics that go with it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would guess probably almost three verses worth that talk about my uncles and coming home in the evening and people on the farm, things that happen and whatnot. Anyway, if we go into much of that, I I will become emotional. And and that's why I don't sing them in the song. It... uh, if I, I, I don't want to be that detached from those memories. and But if I am evoking those memories on stage, I'll probably have a, a I'll at least start crying. And people will say, is he crying? And I say, yeah, he's crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. You're going to get that. And uh, I also used to have a lot of trouble with crying when I was telling the truth. So there's only two ways that can work out is either stop telling the truth or get over it. <laughs> Well, but I think, I think, A, that speaks to the truth of this song, right? That if that's the reaction that the song elicits from you, it speaks to oh, how deeply so. you're telling the truth in the song. Yeah, it's real. And I, I do. I think as songwriters, sometimes we write songs about experiences because we think they're interesting. Or we write songs to kind of sort through experiences. But sometimes we write something just, just for ourselves. Yeah. And it sounds like this is really a song that you wrote for you as a place to sort of preserve these beautiful memories of what freedom felt like and what it was to be a boy exploring this beautiful place. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would agree. It, uh, it has an imagery to it that I'm very proud of. And the uh, questions people are left with, I've been asked a number of times about the chief running through the night. You know, what is that? Well, that's the, the Santa Fe train, the super chief. And the, uh, the train tracks were not far uh, just above the farm 
uh, probably half a mile away. And the thing would wake you up in the middle of the night. And that drumming of the engines is uh, something I remember from, you know, I remember the first time I really realized what that was. Wait a minute, that is the train. And uh, I was probably about six. And, uh, oh, I wanted to go see the train the next night. I, I asked, oh, I was, you know, can we, can we stay up late and go see the train come by? And no, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Have you ever been to go? Oh, I've seen the train. I've, I've put things on the tracks to squish them. Yeah, but we used to, we used to put pennies on the tracks, and then, yeah, we'd have to wait till the next day and come by and get the squished pennies. But I'm sure they were super hot if you tried to grab them right away. Oh, they would be. But the train came about three in the morning, so we we never actually got to see it happen. Oh, really? So you would just leave things on the tracks and then come back later? Yeah, and there's no. You never snuck out at night. No, I would have been afraid to. Really? Yeah, like I said, there are things there that will eat you. You know, mm. and, and uh, that, that much was clear. The uh, I, I've uh, I've any number of times gotten a lot closer to a mountain lion than I cared to. Uh, there are a, a few little caves around the the place that there is always something living in there, and it always growls. But we don't go there. You know, to go out at night. That's that's not a place where you go out by yourself at night and expect to come back un, unscathed. And now, you know, now uh, it's much more populated. There are probably, uh, oh, I don't know, in a, in a given square mile, there are probably 30 to 50 people now. Uh, at the time, there were probably five. Wow. And so, but you just get out of tiny ways and... Uh, it's it's fairly desolate. You know, there are uh, there's electricity and cell phone service. In fact, the remnants of the farm, uh, just right next to there, is a cell phone tower. So, cell coverage is great. You'd be able to tell them I'm being eaten by a mountain lion. <laughs> we were terribly sorry. <laughs> we'll send a helicopter after a while. I was like, hopefully that's not the message you're calling with. Uh, no, it, it's that kind of a place. Uh, yeah. You you don't have to get very far off the road before you realize that, you know, if, if you lost your bearings here, you could maybe not find your way back. Hmm. And you'd either end up in Mexico or Arizona. Do you feel like that adds to the majesty of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, every, everything that's, you know, to live at the top of life, I think there has to be some danger involved. Hmm. Because ultimately... We, we don't make it out of here alive anyway. And if you don't live life to the very top of the glass, you know, at the, uh, to the edge, there is no excitement whatsoever. And it could be a very dull experience, I think. But the idea of being at a place where Billy the Kid, I mean, not, not probably, but definitely walked his horse right past here. And Geronimo is known to have gone through some of the, the a cave up in, in that mountain right there mm -hmm. and come out somewhere in Mexico four days later. And there is a cave up there and nobody really knows where it goes. To come across petroglyphs that have been there for I don't know how many thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, those sort of things stay with a person when, when everything else is manufactured and put together from ticky tack or, you know, it's built out of concrete and clearly temporary it's 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 a striking thing to 
to go to a place that's like that. And it was all, which I find interesting, is it's all right together within mm. about a three mile radius. There are, uh, within three miles, there are hot springs, petroglyphs, dinosaur tracks, extinct volcanoes, a river, and in my case, an unlimited supply of tractors and ammunition. You know, how, how much fun could a kid have? A lot. Well, and you get to experience, like you said, some of the wild and free nature of what the world can be before man interferes. Yeah, and it's, it is striking what a mess we've made. And I've seen that in the, just through the decades as, I, as I've gone back out there. And mm -hmm. I don't get out there much, but it's certainly often enough to remember where things are, but seldom enough that I can note the changes when things have happened. Yeah. And we can see where rocks have moved in the arroyo because of a strong current that, that came through in a flood. And wow, that rock used to be over here. And I said, no, it's over there, which is kind of creepy. But the encroachment of, of civilization and, and trailer houses and ranchettes is, uh, you know, it's inevitable and uh, ultimately temporary, but it is kind of sad. But there's plenty of wilderness out there still. So you, you have children. I do. I have young adults. Well, you have young adults now. Did you ever take your kids out there? I did. I, uh, I got my daughter as far as the ditch off the highway and uh, maybe a little past the ditch. And uh, I think there was a lizard or something. And she was always impressed by the, the far view, the, uh, the longness, because uh, you can see things that are 200 miles away. Mm -hmm. You can practically see Albuquerque from there. But she was never very impressed with things that were up close that could bite. And there are plenty of things there that can bite. The ants are the size of, of cockroaches, you know. They're, they're <laughs> Although I was never bitten by one of those ants, not one time. But Do you think son, it's just letting uh, them alone? Yeah, <laughs> running away from them. My, my sons love the place. Uh, they haven't been out there that much, but we always had a good time doing our version of hiking and, and uh, chasing things. Going and to the cave that always had something in it that would growl. Did you ever peer inside the cave or you just came close enough oh, to yeah. hear something growl? Oh, I've been in it. There's a, something always looks back at you. Hmm. That's, you know, that's enough to make anybody run away. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> there's smart. a song in that. <laughs> yeah. So you have all of these beautiful memories of this place that you articulate so clearly here. What was the impetus for writing this song? What made you sit down and say, okay, this needs to go somewhere? I'm not quite sure. Um, it just uh, occurred to me that this could be a song. And uh, I think, I'm, let me look at the lyrics. I think the silhouette Black Mountain actually was the, the impetus for the song. Uh, when I... Every time I came home, my grandmother would drive me to the airport in El Paso, and the flight left at about four fifty. Excuse me, about six fifteen in the morning. Mm -hmm. So it was about a four o'clock get up, and then so it was always dark, and you could see the mountains start to change colors as we approached El Paso. And I was always fascinated with that, uh, even. Uh, during my career as a pilot, I, I was always fascinated with that change from, from night to day or from day to night, because it doesn't happen instantly. You know, it's, it's, it's such a slow change that, that uh, you could almost believe that it's not happening until it does. And then shazam, it's daytime. 
that and the smell of the air uh, hmm. just had to be written down and it affected me deeply uh, the minute I started writing it down and I, I had just a few verses and uh, I called my mom and tried to talk to her about it and it made me cry and oh, uh, she said well clearly you're affected by this and you need to write more but uh, get back to me when you can make it through there Robert <laughs> oh no So you have more verses. Have you ever performed the whole thing? No. No, I don't think so. I'm not sure I could. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure I want to be able to. And, and that's a different kind of I don't want to. You know, mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to leave those, some of those memories, I want to leave them where they are. Because I like where they are. And not from a bad place. But I, uh, some things need to be preserved as untrodden. I have left a few things out that I, I, I might, there are, there's enough material for other verses that I would enjoy. The, uh, there's, there's nothing like running as fast as you can barefooted on the right type of surface. And I've never encountered anywhere else in the world this, this powdery dirt that they have in New Mexico that is, uh, it's caliche clay that's been run over by a car a thousand times. And it turns into it's like baby powder, hmm. and it is wonderful to run on. And yeah, I don't think I do a lot of running anymore at five thousand feet, but I, I I did when I was a little kid. <laughs> I could run like the wind, but I would probably die if I did that now. But it has an, a, an interesting effect on your feet, though. It uh, it just feels wonderful, and things like that are what I think effective songwriting really seems to to come from for me is uh, interesting smells interesting sounds uh, tactile things like, like uh, powdery dirt or bayou mud that sucks you down you know and that uh, things like that are, are uh, the stuff of good songs I think yeah things that create a really strong sensational experience It's it's often difficult to to bring anything to a song that the audience is interested in experiencing for themselves. Hmm. Uh, the music is so often about the beat and being uplifting and entertaining, and you know, give me that old four four, you know, let's all jump up and dance, and everybody wants to be excited and, and upbeat. And I find in, in much of my music, most of my music that I think has any real value to anybody ever, uh, or that I'll be remembered for ever, is borderline depressing and definitely calm. Hmm. Hopefully calming and borderline depressing. Hopefully borderline depressing or just hopefully calmly? Uh, I'd go for hopefully calming, and but it's probably borderline depressing a lot of it. But I can depress myself if I'm not careful. And I enjoy writing music for other voices. I've written a, a few songs for female vocalists, and I, I, I enjoy that because I, I don't sing much of a range, and I can't... Uh, well, some of the topics I wanted to address are... Uh, well, they're just not male topics. And, yeah, I definitely have a male voice, so my song uh, Inthanema Farewell 
is the response. The Girl from Ipanema being the, the most recorded song, I think, or the second most recorded song, I'm not sure. Uh, Yesterday and Ipanema kind of go back and forth as first and second most recorded song uh, and have for, for years. But my song Ipanema Farewell is, uh, is from the girl's perspective. But basically she just wants to go for a walk on the beach and be left alone. Hmm. I couldn't really express that as a, you know, from my perspective. I could, I can get in touch with how that would feel, I guess, but I, mm -hmm. I couldn't sing it. But uh, Elena Machakas performs that very well. So for you, part of the songwriting experience is articulating something new about something familiar. Generally something familiar or something, I, I try to articulate things that I know about, things that uh, I have felt, as well as I, I try very hard to put myself in someone else's place. Well, the Ipanema Farewell, for example. I, I, uh, I'm never going to be a pretty girl in a bikini, I, I know that, but I can imagine how it would feel to be a girl that lives in Ipanema and just wants to get to her grandmother's house. And there are these guys that just won't stop it with the tall and tan and young and lovely business. You know, just she's just trying to get down the street. <laughs> of course, she was wearing a bikini, but that was you know, she ought to be able to. I would think. And some of my songs are are just plain silly. Uh, I think that's an important part of the art. They can be pointless and silly. Uh, uh, they can be trivial. They can be effective just in that they they count to four 16 times 32 times 64 times and then they're done and nobody learned uh, anything from that or felt anything other than the need to jump up and down and I, I think that's great that's part of what music is about it makes us jump it makes us feel alive and happy and uh, connected even if we're connected by you know let's go get the Irish or, or whatever it still creates a sense of, of community, uh, whether it's correct or not. Maybe it isn't, mm -hmm. but we have, a, we have a need to count to four, or sometimes three, and rare occasions five. But, but uh, human beings just, just love to jump up and down and make noises. And I, uh, I really admire that in our species. I, I think it's, it's one of our best attributes. The need to jump up and down and make noise. Yeah. I think it's part of what makes us human. It's part of what you talk about in the song, too, because you keep talking about the songs that people are singing in this place. Oh, yeah, that's that's some vivid imagery for me. In the evening, uh, after the Bruceros went, went to their, they had uh, living quarters, that uh, they would start making tortillas, and if the weather was nice, they'd sit outside, and it always was. They would uh, sit out in the shade uh, out in front of their, it's like a barracks place. In fact, it may have actually been a barracks at one time. Hmm. Uh, but they would sit outside and, and, and make tortillas by hand. And uh, a couple of them had guitars. And they would sing these beautiful melodies and, and harmonies with these uh, extended chords. You know, and you, you get a couple of dozen people singing these, these weird extended chords. And then you, you sort of lose the root and the third, and sometimes it comes back and it's a minor third. Other times, you know, it, it, the wind will make it a minor third sometimes, and, and mm -hmm. the song, then it'll go major again. 
But it, it's a, a really nice memory. So I wonder, where did those guys go? Where did those songs go? What were those songs? Yeah, where did they come from? Yeah, and uh, yeah, the songs came from far away, you know, Oaxaca or somewhere. I wish I had recording. <laughs> I think that's one of the interesting things about songwriting in general is you have a lovely shop called Fiddle and Bow where you offer music lessons. So you know what it is to teach music to people. But I think sometimes, you know, we fall into the trap of thinking as we're teaching that it's about learning how to play the greats. And I think that's some of it. But it's also learning how to give yourself an emotional voice. It is, it, you know, so much of teaching teaching uh, my, my brother is is a gifted violinist and a wonderful teacher he has the patience of job uh, I don't I don't have that I uh, I don't do well with difficult students I become a difficult teacher as the student becomes difficult I become exponentially difficult and you know the process breaks down but he has, he does a wonderful job of that because it's more than teaching people to count to four or three and you know and this is a half note and that's an eighth note and, and then we have to make them all mesh together and, and go through the arithmetic of it and the structure of chords and you know we can analyze it and we can't teach it without analyzing it but then again we can totally teach it without any analysis or knowledge whatsoever you can teach someone to sing without teaching them english they can learn to sing Without having any theory whatsoever, people naturally will sing a major or minor tones, and they'll pick up a seventh and a minor ninth. You know, where are they getting that? Where's that coming from? Are we describing something that was already there, or is something being put in our brains to, to make us do it? You know, that's the age-old question of teacher versus student. Who's teaching whom? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the, uh, the fiddle and bow is a wonderful little shop. My brother and I found ourselves walking around looking for space one day and, and leased it. And Linda wasn't really on board with that and, and wasn't particularly enthusiastic about finding out that she had just become a leaseholder. But uh, she practically ran the place for 20 years or more. And uh, we've gone through a major remodeling. We finally, finally have it turned around so that the music studio is in the back. and. Uh, the instrument repair and everything is in the front. Was, uh, originally, it was reversed, and that was very difficult. Yeah, I can imagine that would make it quite difficult. She is much better at dealing with people than I ever was, and uh, she's handled the customer relations and all the violin rentals and violin maintenance, and I thought it was Linda's thing for years. So Linda is your lovely wife. For our listeners who might not have the joy of knowing you and Linda, she is my lovely bride of um, almost 49 years. That's incredible. Do you have any advice for us, Rob? How do you make it to 49 years? It's not easy. <laughs> it, uh, how does one maintain a relationship for 49 years? Uh, I think you have to appreciate that you are going to grow and change uh, as individuals. And the relationship is going to grow and change on its own. And hopefully at the end of the acceptable period that you consider, you know, that you're still happy as, as, as the relationship grows and changes, the people still fit in the same relationship. And it's, there's no way I could have put up with myself when I was 19, 
And I, I certainly wouldn't expect any mature adult to put up with Linda when she was 19. Uh, the fortunate thing is uh, she didn't marry a, a mature adult. She married a 19-year-old. So, you know, well, excuse me, I was 20 when she married me. But By three days. By three days. <laughs> and it was her idea. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she asked yeah. me to marry her. Yeah. I just said, let's get married. And you said, okay. Yeah. We, we kind of did it like later after we got our engagement rings on layaway, right? Or something. Oh my God. And to make it proper, he said, well, let's go to this little Italian restaurant. You know, I, I kind of knew what was coming on. And then uh, we stopped at a 7-Eleven or yeah, stop and go. And he, he went ahead and I guess he got it out of layaway. Is that what happened? Yeah, I, yeah, got, I had gotten yeah. the rings. And, and, I had gotten the rings out of layaway. That's and what it was. He didn't tell me, so he didn't make it to the Italian restaurant. It was in front of Seven Eleven. He said, "Okay, I'm gonna do it officially." <laughs> <laughs> so that's his experience. But um, he was back. In, he was in Dallas by that time. I'm in Houston, mm -hmm. and there's those times where we were we were really good friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, the story can go on back when we met, and he was actually 15. And I'm older than he was. I was 17. Wow. And I, and I, I had a friend. He, there's a song about this, the stalker song, which sounds terrible, but it's about my friend and I not having the courage to talk to him and his friend. So we were really young and had a summer of just hanging around. Then life goes on. I'm older. I graduate and all that. He goes to college. And so when I came back to Houston, mm -hmm. he was in Dallas by that time. But we loved hanging out when he came into town. It was. It had gone already from the little summer romance to friendship. Mm -hmm. And we were good buddies. Yeah, good buddies. For a long time. And then, then it sort of, you know, kept going. When he left, I missed him terribly. And he started coming every week till his dad finally said, "You're supposed to clean the pool. This <laughs> keep going back yeah. to Houston," because his dad was a pilot. Oh, always supposed was, to be in school, yeah. cleaning the pool. Yeah. And my sister-in-law finally said, "You're going to marry him." I said, "No, you know." Well. Yeah, well, there you go. So, um, anyway, there's that part is. So, <laughs> there wait, that part that is. to do with music. Why didn't we even talk about it? Anyway, Stalker Song. He did the Stalker Song. So well, the, the Stalker Song, the, the lyrics there, I'll, I'll, it's not the song we're talking about. But, That's uh, okay. You can still tell I, us about the Stalker Song. It, it, uh, somebody that looks like you has been looking at me. And uh, was that you I saw today behind the tree? <laughs> <laughs> I would just be out and around in the neighborhood, and there would be a rustling in the bushes and and a and a pleasant scent, and and then I would notice these two girls around, you know, and they were always around at the Seven Eleven. They would be down the aisle and over a little, you know, knocking over magazines. <laughs> How did they get from there to the Seven Eleven before I did? Because I was walking to the Seven Eleven, and they had to run around the building and down the street and back over. That's weird. And oh man, I figured out I was being stalked. Late one summer afternoon, I, I was, there was a, a steep hill at the apartments there. I well, was, I'm gonna go back. I was visiting my brother and our apartments were right across from him. Yeah, we were neighbors. Yeah, we were neighbors. And I was riding my skateboard <laughs> and uh, her friend, uh, Janie. Janie, who was the aggressive one of the pair, walked over and said, what you doing? I'm riding my skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> but a few days later, a good friend of mine was over and had, had cut his foot badly. 
and the girls were there. And uh, <laughs> I said, my friend Lucas cut his foot. Do you want to come see it? We were there. We <laughs> oh, were, they were okay. there in a minute. There's, there's an opening. <laughs> 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 we went over there. Yeah. So, um, so I married her. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened on that one. It's really sweet. I'm um, rustling in a bush and a pleasant scent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people say stalker song. Why are you singing that? Why are you singing that stalker song? Well, yeah, listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have the nerve. My friend and I would get our makeup on, wash our hair, get all fixed up every time we were walking because there was that chance mm. that we were going to actually talk. <laughs> Which sometimes we can get past the curtain looking at him. Well, our, our apartments were across, were across the way. Mm-hmm. And I'd be making a pimento cheese sandwich and look around out the window and these people would be looking back at me. Yeah, it was embarrassing because I didn't know that. And all of a sudden, the, his hand went, pulled the shade down. And I was oh, like, no. oh, my God, he knows. Thank goodness. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, we came back together, and he was he had a guitar and played it mm-hmm. all through. I was pregnant, put it on the stomach, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so always has played music. And we have some kind of music background. I don't play, and I don't sing. I don't. I, can't, I have a beat, you know, I like to dance and all that stuff. I uh, have a, some conga drums that I'll play with. But I was raised uh, in a radio station. Really? So, yeah, my dad owned a radio station um, in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first ones that brought Mexican music into South Texas. And so since I was tiny, my mom worked there and all this stuff. And so I'd, mm-hmm. I'd go over there in the afternoons after school and before. So I had the run of the place. I was that little girl that just ran around. And so I heard a lot. They had live broadcasting. Live bands would play with the glass window, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I heard all that. It was very... That was a studio broadcast station. Yeah, so. it was very natural. And my sister, she was, you know, we're doing American stuff. She's rock and roll and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she was 16, I'm six. So I had her playing her songs and she became a DJ. She went to my dad and said, you gotta do some American music. This is who I would go to high school with. And he was like, no, no, Angie. Well, she got her way and she was Miss Tops and Bops of San Antonio. So I got to go to the record store with her to pick up records and stuff. So I was like in music in a whole different direction. So, and, and, and my parents had a record store. Yeah, so we had that kind of, yeah. oh yeah, you went and got records with me too. And my dad brought shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I get teased a lot about this because I didn't even put it together. He was a promoter also. He would uh-huh. take music acts from Mexico and bring them to the big stage. And mm-hmm. I got to go with him. And I'd run all over the stage with the big red curtains and the audience and while he was talking. And I, I'd pretend I was on stage, but I couldn't do anything. But I, it didn't matter. <laughs> just, I was on stage. So from that angle, because I guess we can get into it a little bit, what I do now is what do I do? I schedule and promote. It was like you run the back end of everything. And my sister-in-law had said, you know what you're doing, right? I was like, oh, God, I didn't even think about that. You're finding yeah. people and bringing them to the to show. Shows. <laughs> <laughs> Dragging so, them on the stage. Is, isn't that wild, though? I didn't ever put those two together. That is never. so cool. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the lovely Linda, Linda and Rob Case have been kind enough over the course of the past year, especially in COVID, to make an effort to keep the Poor David's Pub open mic going and to, as a result, sort of help save Poor David's Pub, which is a really important venue in Dallas music. And Linda puts this show together every week and Rob hosts it. And 
you guys have been able to keep a community alive in a way that is really incredible because we all really needed community. Can you Can talk we? a little bit about what made you decide to take that over? Um, well, I, you know, oh, you, go ahead. I'm not even sure what made us do it other than I, I felt an intense need to get out and play on stage and it was out of the question. And I knew that everybody else I had talked to was ex expressing the same thing. And we talked about it and Linda said, well, you know, I don't know, you, maybe you should do the on, do a, an online show on Zoom. And I was adverse to the yeah, idea. I really, a, you know, uh, in April, we were all still thinking, right, that, okay, in the month, in mm -hmm. a month, right? And we had the couple last of weeks. No, yeah. it's not right. the same. Oh, and in oh, May, um, we started actually doing some Zooms with our music, musician friends because we missed what is it that monday night that yeah. we all got together we chat and talk and there's just oh, so much lonely. there's <laughs> so much support in that in that group community that we're all in and um so we started zooming with them and then you know so i said well that's what we're all missing i got it from them too i said let's let's just do it we didn't know anything about zoom you know so the first really one was a disaster yeah it was oh, the, the first, first one the first show was a complete and total <laughs> train wreck <laughs> We deleted it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. But uh, that's how it started, is let's get together and do this. And I was surprised at how many people, like the first show, we had six or seven people, you know, and I was picturing three. How many have we had now? Well, now we have uh, 14. Oh, how many shows have we had? Oh, we're on the 60th show. Are you seriously on the 60th, 60th show? show? Yeah. Wow. So, um, so that has served that purpose. Then we pretty much quickly said, um, in fact, I think it was something you had done to get some support financially for all for these local venues. Yeah, local we did venues. And that's why I said, well, okay, let's, let's, hey, everybody chip in $5. Let's see if, you know, to help them. And that's kind of how it started. And then David. Card. Card. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't around the open mics much, so he didn't know a lot of these people. And I had told him, I said, you don't, you, this isn't a random place everybody's going to all these places to get together and bring new people mm -hmm. so we were already doing it Rob was already hosting by yeah. the branding of the show through Port David's Pub is important because it, it means something to people in Dallas and Houston and around the five-state area really in the country people know Port David's Pub if you've been to Dallas and it uh, it was yeah. un it wasn't intentional mm -hmm. but it your comment as to keeping the, the the spirit of the pub alive it it has in a way because the open mic in in any any place whether it's Port David's pub or the troubadour or somewhere in Bangladesh and, and there is an open mic in every city in the world mm -hmm. but it's always sort of second-rate you know it's kind of pushed aside the uh, the performers mm -hmm. on the main stage acts on Saturday night some percentage of them may have played open mics at some point but typically it's it's looked down as being an amateur hour and honestly the amateur hour in vaudeville was the beginning of the whole open mic process but it uh it has always taken the back seat to to the mainstream performances but when the mainstream performances suddenly shut down the open mic even the virtual open mic became front and center with the spotlight and actually the only thing we had going on yeah and uh suddenly got a lot of attention and i, and I think well deserved attention 
is the there are people that only want to ever play open mics and don't have any aspirations to record in Nashville or, or Los Angeles. That's just what they want to do once in a while. And that's perfectly fine. And others are changing themselves into a musician and, and a performer. That, that's something we didn't anticipate either, is that people, they, they became more, I don't want to say the word better because everyone's great, you know. That, right. But they're, 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 they're performances, I should say. Not so much, you know, their songs too. They started a, because I guess it's like rehearsing every week. Yeah, you become every more engaging because. Well, we have more time. And we have more time, yeah. That's true. There's that. So, um, so now I had people randomly writing and telling me, and I try to tell people, this is not an open mic, guys. You know, you just I put it out there, sign up. I really mean it. Well, they'll send yeah. me these things with more times than not with their press kits. Oh, wow. Me? And would you, and like, I want to say, guys, you know, when I say yeah. sign up, sign up. And I think it's really, really sweet. And actually, I think it's really a good thing because it helps me knowing kind of to shuffle people around to. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no audition required. Yeah. Just come on in. Now we might or might not invite you back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's, there's some aspects that I did not expect, did not see that. People all over the country, you know, I did, did, not, did not anticipate that part. It's been and, a really uh, cool community. Uh, the community is really important. Yeah. And, uh, and I've always been, even at the shop, it, it, kids show so much interest and wanting to do more and more. I, you probably, mm -hmm. as a teacher, see the ones that just can't wait to go play. Yeah. And so that, that, that feeling of seeing them want to do that. So it's the same thing. I mean, it just goes on. Yeah. Well, you always give so much to the community. You've done so much to support live music and to make sure that there is an artist community. From, you, you know, you used to host the open mic at Morasso Cafe, which was right down the street from Fiddle and Bow. And then you guys have done so much to support Poor David's. I saw Rob at Opening Bell all the time back in the day. I think it matters what you're doing. And I know that all of us that have been part of the regular community really appreciate the opportunity to get together and collaborate and be inspired by each other. Because I think that's ultimately a lot of it. It, it is. It's a, it's a support structure for for the, the aspiring musician and the professional musician as well. I, I see performance as a almost a, a metamorphosis you know it, it's a you have I, I had my walking around self my, my regular daily self and I have my performing self and they're not the same person uh, when the when a metamorphosis is complete it's still okay to talk to me but my responses will be a little inappropriate <laughs> they're not quite on point necessarily and I've encountered this a number of times, and not just from performance anxiety, but or from stress. But mm -hmm. uh, in, in talking to performers, whether the you know seasoned professionals or newcomers, either one, you never know what you're going to get if you're near a stage when you you approach somebody. You might get your head snapped off. You may get a non sequitur. But goodness, I was just asking you if you wanted to go on ahead of so and so. You know. <laughs> But but people get in a zone and mm. and they're they're not the same person that they were. It took me a while often. to understand that. He told me I'd go up to somebody, a performer, mm -hmm. um, 
you go to the shows and all that and I want to chat you know I'm just hey hug and all that and I, I took it as standoffish to me mm-hmm. you know I take it personally and Rob just said they're you know performers if they're going to do a big performance their head is under what they're going to do so don't take it personally you know? <laughs> don't. and I've learned that that's as it is true you know? and sometimes they just don't like you, you know, there's, there's <laughs> well that don't too. tell me <laughs> that's not true no, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I think that there's definitely like a pre-performance mode that people get into. Mm-hmm. But it is at least my experience as a performer and my experience with performers that if you talk to somebody after the show, like if you go up to them after they have played and say anything kind about their music, and certainly I feel this way. Like if anybody comes up to me after a show and says something nice about my music, we are Insta friends. Right. Like <laughs> I want to know about their life. I want to know about their family. I want to know all of it. Yeah, I, I know that. I used to do that. That's usually when I grab everybody. <laughs> yeah. Just, Linda yeah. gives great hugs. If any of you come to Poor David's, <laughs> Linda gives good hugs. You need She's to go meet Linda. Yeah, yeah. I miss the hugs more a lot. Yeah, it was nice. We went back for the first time to Poor David's to do a live in-person open mic. Was it in June? Mm-hmm. June 5th. Yeah. yeah. And it was so good to see everybody. There was still some anxiety. And I think there will be anxiety about being around people and groups for for quite a while but yeah just the the unvarnished joy that everybody had for seeing one another was was it was palpable i mean you could you could see it you could feel it in the room everybody was so happy to be there yeah um, well i had uh, some people say i didn't even know i i missed the stage as much as oh really to go yeah yeah, a couple of people said, I did not realize how much I missed being on stage. And that show went on for over six hours. It was a marathon. God bless you both for putting it on, <laughs> for doing what you do every Monday night. It matters. Well, um, David Card well, offering you. a Saturday night's kind of a big deal. I don't know if everybody out there besides musicians know that Saturday night at a legendary place it's kind of a deal, you know, and so he was very generous, wants to do it again, and we may do that again in the yeah, it was a prime time slot the fall for sure. Something. Yeah, so that was cool. That was cool. Thanks to people like you that came. That's all true. The way over there, I will always come. Absolutely, it is an honor and a pleasure to get to play for and with you guys anytime. Well, it's always very special. You are a trooper and a wonderful host, I might add. Well, thank you. That is kind of you to say. So are you. And so is Miss Linda. Rob, I am so grateful to you for taking the time out today to talk about your song. And so grateful for what both of you do for local music. It means so much and is so important. And I really appreciate how the themes of home connect. Because, you know, in this in this song, what you do is you articulate what home was for you once. And you all do a really beautiful job in Dallas of making a home for musicians. Uh-huh. And that's a really special thing. That's true. The last thing we get to do, though, is let people hear the recorded version of Home Place. Would you like to introduce your song? Uh, we'll be happy to. Uh, the recorded version of Home Place, although it's not much different than the acoustic version. It doesn't have strings and all that. It, it has in between, so you add it to it. And the ending, you add it to it. it, it that's the new yeah. version. Yeah, I mean, he has changed a little bit, hasn't it? I think sometimes when what we come up with as musicians remains the same, when the idea with which we started is the idea with which we end, 
I think yeah. that's just as valid as a choice to change it along the way. I do love that thing that happens in music where we have the artist's original idea and, and we scribble it down and bang out a few chords. However, you know, we get the structure straightened out. Maybe it needs a couple of measures here. Maybe it needs more of this, whatever. And then we perform it for ourselves a few times. Maybe we perform it for friends. And then it's recorded. And once it's recorded and, and set in concrete or remembered by someone else, then we have that standard, that guidepost is, is set somewhere so that a revised performance will be seen as, oh, you're not doing it right. It's almost like the evolution stops. Yeah, it has to. People don't want to hear Paul McCartney's new version of I Want to Hold Your Hand. We want to hear the Beatles do it. But that evolution mm -hmm. from, from one iteration to another is part of the journey. So the song grows and changes whether you want it to or not. There's going to be a word that changes. There's always going to be something. Some people might leave out three or four verses. And there would be three or four verses in there. That's true. Rob, if people are listening and they're thinking, wow, I really love what Rob talks about, I think his music is phenomenal. Where's the best place for them to find you? Other than Poor David's Pub. You got your own Facebook page, Reverb Nation. Well, it has a website, oh, um, and needs updating because you would think COVID, we'd have all the time, and for some reason my, we didn't. My digital presence is a mere pittance of what it once was, and I uh, am one of a very few artists that actually basically took a wrecking ball to my career on purpose because hmm. uh, I didn't like the way things were going and I wasn't happy with my album. It was a wonderful <laughs> production with 19 tracks and I, I took it down and hmm. erased the, the name of it. But I do have a limited version that is up and it's on and you're gonna do it's on Apple and all the places. Mm -hmm. And he's going to do the second half of a different kind of music on the second. Another, yeah. There's going to be another one. It's all coming back. Yeah. But I, I forgot to tell you about the website. It's robcasemusic.com, uh, and we're and, working on it. So. And for people who are listening on the radio, that's rob, R-O-B, case, C-A-S-E, music.com. And if you're listening on a podcast, just scroll up, click the link. Rob, Linda, it's so good to see your faces, and I'm so grateful for both of you in the music world and so grateful for Rob's music in the world. Rob, would you introduce to these lovely listeners on Deep Ellum Radio your song? This is Home Place. It's all one word. Home Place. Thank you. Silhouette black mountains Slowly start to fade High thin desert air, pinon mesquite and sage. The boys sing canciones to greet the waking day. Walk up the ditch bank road to meet Los Tios, me primos along the way. Now where do they go? When the day is begun Los tios y mis primos Home place Mexican boys and their song Home 
sun gently lays the valley's burden down. Uncles and cousins ride the ditch bank road back home. Mexican boys sing a broken corazones. Songs of lost love, songs of longing for their home. Where do they go when the shadows grow long? Los tios see mis primos home place, Mexican boys in their songs. Lightning streaks across the sky Highway semi-tires Whine and sing a lullaby The smell of desert rain The chief is running through the night Count the seconds till the thunder We knew everything would be alright storms come at night the Santa Fe's big engines and knowing everything would be alright Los tios see mis primos home place Mexican boys and their sons Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of a Song, featuring the immensely talented Rob Case and his song, Home Place. To learn more about Rob or to follow his journey, visit Rob Case Music. That's R-O-B-C-A-S-E music.com. For behind the scenes glimpses and more about Journey of a Song, follow me on Instagram at, at Emmeline Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E Music. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Journey of an Artist, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep LM Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Friday on your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. This is only the beginning, and I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song is worth a thousand stories.